Welcome to The Binge Cure with Dr. Nina. Today, you are going to learn how to outsmart emotional eating and live a life of happiness and joy without giving up the foods you love. Now, here is Dr. Nina. Hi, welcome to The Binge Cure with Dr. Nina. I'm your host, Dr. Nina Savelle Rocklin, and I am here to help you liberate yourself from emotional eating, take control of your life, and feel good in your body all without dieting, spending hours in the gym, or counting a single macro. Today is the first show of the month when I do a Q&A and answer your questions about food, weight, and body image. In these Ask Dr. Nina segments, I'm going to help you deal with what's eating at you and what's weighing on you. So let's get started. If you are watching on Instagram, you can feel free to just drop a comment in or a question in the comment box, and I will be sure to get to your question as, as soon as I can. Okay, so first of all, the big one, why can't I stop eating? Why can't I stop eating? I, I've heard from just today from Denise, who says she's tried every program out there to no avail. Um, and Jody, who's who's same thing, uh, decades and decades and decades of struggling with food. Why can't I stop eating? So here's here's the main problem when it comes to understanding how to stop binge eating, and it's a hard one for people to wrap their mind around. But here we go. When it comes to binge eating, food is not the problem. Food is the answer to the problem. It sure seems like the problem, right? It seems like the problem, but it actually is resolving some other problem that stays out of your awareness or gets minimized or dismissed or what have you when you are focusing on what you are eating instead of what is eating at you you are focusing on the wrong thing. I really like to use the analogy of a weed and a root. Because you don't have to be a gardener to know that if you just pluck that pluck that weed without getting to the root, what's going to happen? Well, it's going to be gone for a little while and you're just going to look at your your garden and say, "Ooh, no weeds. Awesome. This is great. I found the answer." But sooner or later, usually sooner rather than later, those weeds stop pop, start popping up again. You can't stop weeds from populating your garden by just getting to the top of the weed. You've got to get to the root. Same with binge eating, stress eating, any kind of emotional eating. If we just pluck the weed, that is going on a diet. That is focusing on food. That is that's 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 dealing with the, the thing we think is the problem. But the real problem is the root. The root is what grows those weeds. The roots uh, of our conflict, our feelings, our wishes, our hopes, our difficulties with um, emotions, whatever it is that are hidden from us. Sometimes we're in the dark about it. It sure feels like it's about food, like I said. Um, but when we get to those Roots. When we do some emotional gardening, if you will, and dig out those roots and see what's what's down there, then they're gone for good. This is why I I don't believe in recovery. Recovery is about having to wake up every day and think about being good with food, sticking with the program, all of that. Ugh, 
That just sounds horrible to me. And white knuckling it through through life and just you know, having all of these foods that are forbidden and feeling good about yourself if you don't eat them and feeling bad about yourself if you do eat them. Oh, horrible, horrible, horrible. No. Instead, liberation. Liberation is when you get those weeds out by the root, they are gone forever. They will not come back to your garden. Same with binge eating. When you discover why you're turning to food instead of focusing on what you are eating and you deal with that, you deal with those roots, yes, it is hard. It's easier to focus on food. It's easier to be on a diet. It's easier to be on a meal plan. It is harder to look at what's eating at you. It is. I am very upfront about that. But it is liberating because when you do deal with it, whatever that it is, for some people, it's just difficulty um, dealing with 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 feelings. Just you know, because we live in a culture that says don't have feelings. For other people, it's um, a way of coping uh, uh, with uncomfortable feelings towards other people. Being mad at other people is scary. So no, you get mad at yourself for eating, or it distracts you, it comforts you, it fills a void, it does so many different things, which I'm going to talk about as we progress in this show today. Um, but of course, it also hurts you. But when you get get to those roots and you dig them out for good, you have liberation. Liberation means this is something you no longer deal with. You used to struggle with food. You used to always you know, feel bad about stepping on the scale. You used to look in, in your closet and think, well, those are clothes I will, I will wear when I get to my goal weight. You, you know, you used to worry about going out to dinner with friends and maybe you have like that little salad and you say no to dessert and then you go home and you eat the kitchen or you stop by in and out on the way home and order everything up and you are filled with shame and remorse and all of that. Liberation means that's in your rear view mirror. You don't have to think about it anymore. You don't have to deal with it anymore. And I believe in liberation because of my own history of being the poster child for eating disorders and going to therapy and never once talking about food. My therapist had no idea I was the poster child for eating disorders. But when I left, all my eating disorders were gone. And that means I was out of my cycle of restricting, binging, binging and purging, restricting, rinse and repeat, all without ever talking about food. And Denise says, well, how did you do that? She said, "She said um, one thing sticks in my mind about listening to you is you stop binging after going to therapy and no mention of your food addiction. Um, I know by now it's not about the food. That's right. It was never about the food. Remember in the beginning, I said food is a solution to the problem. It is not the problem. So why can't you stop eating? It's because food is solving some problem. It is a frenemy. It is a friend and that is solving the problem. It is doing something for you, but it is also hurting you terribly. So it is an enemy as well. To, to stop using food to cope means giving up the comfort, the soothing, the distraction, all of the ways in which it functions as a friend to you in your life. That is why it is hard to stop eating if you are eating to cope, there are two reasons why people binge eat. One is deprivation, both the experience of deprivation and getting super hungry. 
because when you when you whoop, just happen, <laughs> I, I just uh, I just flip my phone down by accident. Sorry, sorry guys, <laughs> sorry on Instagram. Um, uh, it, what was I saying? Oh, okay, deprivation. So one one reason people binge is because they 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 are dealing with deprivation. If you don't have enough to eat during the day, you get so ravenous that often it is hard to stop. That is one reason, but it is really the least common reason. And it also doesn't only happen by itself. The other reason is also about deprivation, which is the psychological impact of deprivation. If you if you tell yourself you can't have something, you absolutely cannot have something, guess what? You are going to want it more. Absolutely going to want it more. That's just basic psychology. If I tell you don't think about penguins, what's the first thing that pops into your mind? Oh yeah, penguins. So the the experience of deprivation or the anticipation of deprivation leads to binging. That's often called like the um, last supper syndrome. The last supper syndrome usually is something that happens on a Sunday night and you're like, oh my gosh, I overdid it so badly. I'm going to start my diet tomorrow. Now you have the anticipation of deprivation. So what happens? You want all the things that you're not going to be able to have. You know you're not going to be able to have it starting tomorrow until you lose X amount of weight, which could be a long time. And so you say, well, I'm going to have it now. And so you end up binging on all the things that you think you can't have in the future because deprivation or the anticipation of deprivation makes you want that thing all the more. So you binge essentially, or in reality, and then you go on the diet and you know the diets inevitably fail. So then you're back in the, you know, your willpower fails and you eventually have all the things that you haven't been able to have since your last last supper. And this is just classic diet binge cycle. So deprivation is one reason, those two kinds of deprivation, of physical deprivation and psychological deprivation. But more importantly, why can't you stop eating? It's because you are using food in some way that you need right now because you don't have another way of dealing with things. If you don't know how to uh, uh, you know, comfort yourself, if you don't know how to soothe yourself, if you don't know how to express emotions and food, when you binge, it takes you into that binge zone, right? That binge zone where you're not feeling, you're not thinking, you're just in the zone. Well, it's doing something for you. So to stop eating means you're just left with these feelings and no way uh, to know how to deal with them. Now, often people tell me, oh, it's not about feelings. I'm not emotional eating. I'm good. I just, I'm just addicted to food. So here's, here's something, if you, if you've listened to this show before, my my previous show on LA Talk Radio, you likely know the story of Jenna and the Chunky Monkey. So for those of you who are new to this show and you don't know the story of Jenna, let me tell you the story of Jenna and the Chunky Monkey. Because she came to me and she told me just straight up she was a food addict. 
She's like, maybe your other people are dealing with emotional eating or something like that. She tells me she's a food addict and she can prove it. I said, oh, well, I'm all ears. Please enlighten me. How are you a food addict? How can you prove it? So she says that the, the night before she was watching TV, just chilling, Netflix and chilling, having a perfectly good time when all of a sudden, as she put it, Ben and Jerry's was calling her name. That's how she put it. Calling my name. She's like, I'm addicted to Chunky Monkey. Face it, Dr. Nina. I'm a food addict. I said, well, wait. What were you watching on TV before Ben and Jerry's started calling your name? She said, oh, it's my favorite show. My favorite sort of guilty pleasure, Charmed. So since she was doing something that she enjoyed, there was no reason, or so she thought, that she would want to down a pint of ice cream or two. I said, well, what was the episode about? She's like, oh, it's when this demon comes down and breaks the bond between the sisters and everything gets really nasty and awful and, 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 and contentious and terrible. And I looked at her and said, oh, sisters fighting. And she said, oh, she did that Macaulay Culkin home alone, like, oh, oh my gosh, hands on the face, big O. Yes, because at that moment, she realized that watching the show had activated her own issues with her sister. She had a terrible relationship with her, her sister. So watching this episode of her favorite show activated feelings about her relationship with her sister, but before she was consciously aware that she was triggered, she went to ice cream for comfort and distraction. So ice cream was not the problem. Ice cream was the solution to the problem. The problem was her difficulty managing her feelings about her sister and, and comforting herself because it was a really toxic, terrible relationship. And she felt terrible about it, but she didn't know how to be with that. And so I taught Jenna new ways of identifying her feelings and then working through them, processing them. And when she did that, guess what? Ben and Jerry's stopped calling her name. And the story of Jenna, and I, I've heard stories like this countless times. Jenna gave me permission to use her story, which is why I use it all the time. Plus, it's kind of funny. I'm addicted to Chunky Monkey. Everyone can relate to that, right? But but in a on a serious note, this really shows the impact of uh, uh, unconscious motivations, those hidden from us roots. Roots are in the ground, like I was talking about the analogy before, a weed and a root. We can't see those roots. They are hidden from us. They are in the ground. Similarly, there are, I, I, there are ideas we have, ideas we have about ourselves, feelings, conflicts, wishes, all kinds of things that are hidden from us. We're in the dark about them, but they still affect us and they affect our relationship with food. So for, for Jenna, Chunky Monkey was a distraction and a way of coping. Because uh, ice cream and anything smooth and creamy is associated with a need for comfort. By the way, if ice cream is your thing, think about other ways that you can comfort yourself that don't involve food. Think about if your child or a loved one is going through a hard time and needs comfort, 
do you say, oh, hey, I got you. Here's some Ben and Jerry's. Maybe not. Maybe you say, what's going on? Talk to me. How are you? You'd offer them words of comfort. And the idea is to give yourself the same words of comfort because when you give yourself comfort words, soothing words, when you learn how to be with feelings, process feelings, you don't need food for comfort or distraction. I'll talk about that in a little bit as well. Um, just really briefly, uh, uh, that I, that connection between smooth and creamy foods and the need for comfort is part of my food mood formula. Um, if you want the whole formula, just DM me, or if you're listening to this on um, on Voice America, just drop me a line, write me, or find me on Instagram, DM me, and I'll send you a link so that you can download the formula for yourself. Uh, so why can't you stop eating? It is because something is going on within you, and you are using food for comfort or distraction or many different things. For example, loneliness is experienced as emptiness, and we can symbolically fill up with food to 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 make up for that empty, lonely feeling. Want to get really curious about your why instead of focusing on food. Or if you eat until you are in physical pain, and a lot of people can relate to this, you're eating until you are in physical pain and you still can't stop eating. You might think you're also a food addict. You might think, what is wrong with me? I am here to tell you there is nothing wrong with you. You may be unconsciously converting emotional pain to physical pain. When things hurt us, but we don't know how to manage that emotional pain, often we distract. We and by the way, this is not a conscious thing. You're not, you're not like, oh. I, I'm my feelings are really hurt about that situation. And so I am turning to food and I will now eat until I am in physical pain. And therefore I will have converted my emotional pain to physical pain. No, that's not how it works. You're not aware of it. You're not conscious of it. It's hidden from you. These are the roots. They're hidden from us, but they have a lot to do with what we do with food. Right, it's it's out of awareness, but not out of operation. All right, so um, Jody also asked about um, asked about. Well, it wasn't really a question, but she said she she eats from the moment she comes home um, until she physically can't eat any anymore, and then she goes to bed, and basically she she's using. She says, I'm using food to fill every moment of of quiet. If she knows she's not hungry, but but she is eating to soothe herself, to zone out, to quiet her her thoughts. Yes, to sedate herself. Again, if we don't know how to be with ourselves or respond to ourselves because we live in a, a culture that says, hey, don't have feelings. Feelings make you weak. You know, you want to be strong? Just don't have those stupid feelings. Yeah, that doesn't that doesn't work so well. And then if we do have feelings, they get labeled. So if you're if you're angry, you need anger management classes. Clearly, 
rather than, yeah, you're just a person who's angry because of a situation. Or if you're sad, oh, you're depressed, you need a pill. Obviously, some people do benefit from medication. I, I am not ag against medication, but I, I'm talking about just like sadness and even depression sometimes. I'm not talking about major depression. Sadness is just a part of life. It is a response to a situation. So we have to normalize feelings. Anxiety, hey, there's a pill for that too, right? The message is that our feelings, which are just responses to situations, are somehow negative, count negatively against us. We're emotional. We're too sensitive. We shouldn't feel that. So what do we do with those feelings? They got to go somewhere. And you know what? You cannot... You, can, you cannot positive think them away. You cannot drop them. You cannot ignore them. You certainly cannot starve them away or stuff them down or throw them up or any of the things that people symbolically try to do. You can't uh, work them away, gamble them away, drink them away. Any of the, any of the ways that we use to cope in our culture, it, it's because we are not taught how to deal with feelings. We're taught that we shouldn't have them but we do have them. So get more comfortable with feelings, not as character flaws. They are just reactions to situations. They connect you to yourself and to other people. And when you can identify, well, what am I feeling without, oh my God, I'm feeling it. Oh no. Oh no. I'm feeling a feeling. Scary. Alert. Alert. Oh, quick story. This, this happened years ago. And it, it it really took all of my willpower to not speak up. Okay, check this out. So I'm at I'm at the park. I did a lot of observing at the park with my kids. I'm at the park with my older daughter, who is I don't know five seven years old. She's off playing on the on the jungle gym, whatever. And I'm just sitting there on the bench, just hanging out, watching her. And there are these two little toddlers right near me, little boy and a little girl. And they're digging and digging and digging in the sand and they're laughing and they're just having a great old time. And all of a sudden, the little boy gets up and runs off with the little girl's shovel. So what does she do? Naturally, she cries because who hasn't had a little dude leave you and take your shovel, right? We've all been there, right? She's crying. Because she, her feelings are hurt. She feels rejected and abandoned by her friend. And he took her shovel. And she's, I don't know, 18 months old. It's not like she can verbalize this. So up comes mom. Mom comes running up with her diaper bag. And she's like, don't cry. Don't cry. She's desperate, anxious, horrified. Don't cry. Don't cry. Don't cry. It's okay. It's okay. Like, like that. Like, and I'm just like, what, lady? What? And she's digging in her diaper bag. The little kid is crying because of course she's crying. And mom pulls out a cookie and says, don't cry, have a cookie. Yeah, that's the moment. That's the moment when I desperately wanted to say, um, excuse me, you are teaching your daughter not to have feelings and to use food and specifically cookies to to." to deal with her feelings when she can't, when she has them, you're setting herself up for, for, for eating disorder problems. But I didn't say anything. I didn't, I didn't. I, I sometimes wonder, was that the right thing? I don't know. Regardless, can't go back in time. And all I could think of was one day that little girl 
was going to become an adult or an older girl, adult woman, and some guy was going to break her heart or something was going to happen to make her sad. And she was going to tell herself, don't cry, don't cry, don't cry, don't cry. Have a cookie. What should that mother have done? She should have said, of course you're sad. Your friend just ran off and left you and he took your shovel. Of course you're sad. It's all right to cry. You're sad. That's fine. Let me give you a hug. It hurts for now. And that is sad. You're going to feel better soon. But right now, you know, let me give you a hug. And then the little girl would have realized, oh, guess what? My feelings are valid. They're not scary. They don't make other people anxious. I can feel them. I don't need cookies to shut them down. So um, that is basically what happens in our culture with feelings. So we can't stop eating often because we are taught not to not to recognize what we feel. And if we do recognize what we feel, we are taught to tell ourselves we shouldn't feel that feeling. Look on the bright side. It's not so bad. It could be worse. At least you're not this. You know, at least you're, you know, you're, you're, you, you've got this and this. Be grateful for what you have. That's toxic positivity, people. That doesn't help either. There is a place for positivity, but not if it is weaponized to take away your, you know, responses to your feelings. So, you know, some people respond to themselves with anxiety, like that girl's mother was so anxious. Oh, have a cookie. Other people might say, what's your problem? Like, why, what are you crying about? Kind of disdainful and angry. Um, I remember being told, I'll give you something to cry about. How does that even make sense? You're crying, so I'm going to like hit you and make you cry worse? What? Honestly, I have no words. Um or or just like you know kind of dismissive like you're fine. Oh, you're fine. Don't worry about it. Right. And so if we're responded to the, in this way or we learn to respond to ourselves in this way, we never learn how to process our feelings. And therefore, when you start having them, especially at night, because we're busy all during the day um, and uh, we're, our minds are occupied at night, that is when we start having those feelings creep in or thoughts creep in or, or things like that. That's why binge eating at night or stress eating at night is more prevalent. Because if you don't know how to be with yourself and you don't know how to deal with your feelings, your feelings and thoughts are going to come up more at night and then you're, you're going to use food to shut them down. So um, what next question that was a very long, there was a very long answer to one question, but it was a very broad question. What causes binge eating disorder? Is it genetic or related to personal history? There are people who will try to tell you that it is genetic. Um, there has been no gene uh, that has been found that says if you have this gene, you will have an eating disorder. Um, it, if anything, it is modeled. It is, you know, often people who struggle with food have seen their own parents do similar things, or uh, they live in, in families where you're not really allowed emotionality. And after all, food in, in, our, in our psyche represents, oh, I'm almost out of time. Food in our psyche represents relationship. And so in a sense, turning to food is a way of trying to 
um, you know, heal ourselves, help ourselves do something for ourselves. And you really have to look at it as that frenemy. It is a friend and not just an enemy. So be really curious about like what's going on, not is it genetic? Is it where does it come from? But why, you know, why am I feeling this? Um, and again, if you would like to call the show, uh, the number here is 866-472-5792. I'm going to take a quick break and I'll be back. I'll see you uh, in about two minutes. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Are you tired of the endless cycle of dieting and binging? Ready to break free from emotional eating and regain control of your life? Look no further than The Binge Cure with Dr. Nina, the transformative radio show that will empower you on your journey to food freedom. Dr. Nina is here to guide you every step of the way. Join her as she delves into the true causes of binge eating, uncovers hidden triggers, and gives you effective strategies for lasting change. With practical tips and inspiring stories of transformation, The Binge Cure with Dr. Nina will help you nurture a healthier mindset, embrace self-compassion, and rediscover your true self. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to The Binge Cure with Dr. Nina. Have questions for Dr. Nina? Join her on the show at 866-472-5792. That's 866-472-5792. Now back to the show. Hey, welcome back to The Binge Cure with Dr. Nina. We are talking about why can't I stop eating and other questions for this Q&A segment. Um, I was just talking about why can't I stop eating and uh, discussed what causes binge eating disorder. Is it genetic or related to personal history? Yes, it is related to personal history. We learn this way of relating to ourselves and to food, and that's the good news because we can unlearn that and learn a new way. It is it, it, it is not a disease. It is a coping strategy. It Binge eating disorder, which by the way, is the most prevalent kind of eating disorder there is that most people don't know they have because they think they're food addicts. They think they have no willpower. They think they lack control. 
um, they actually are struggling with a diagnosable and treatable condition, binge eating disorder. Uh, oh, I have a caller, Jenny from Los Angeles. Welcome to the show. Hi, Dr. Nina. Hi, Jenny. How are you? I am fine. Let me just tell people on Instagram that they can't hear Jenny, but I'll, I'll you'll hear my answers to Jenny. <laughs> uh, Jenny, how can I how, how can I help you? Well, What's going on? I mean, I've I've called you before um, and talked to you about like my issues with my mother, which is like you know ongoing. But yes. um, I'm just yeah. struggling. I'm struggling now with. Um, I have a trip. I have a trip coming up to go home for the holidays, and I'm struggling with kind of dealing with certain things in my family. I'm stressing out about it um, because of the last trip I had home and what I had to endure while I was there. And it's okay. So as I understand it, you, 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 yes, I remember your call. You called with issues with your mother. Um, and now you're going back for Thanksgiving and you're a little, uh, a little worried about how things are going to be with your family. Is that, is that what's yeah. going on? Okay. Is I'm it stressing is, out about this trip? You're stressing out about the trip. Okay. Can you answer if there's any specific issue with your family that you're worried about? It's just very stressful because I, I'm treated like so poorly and I fly 3,000 miles to get to them. And then I'm kind of treated like they're doing me a favor, you know? Okay. All right. Okay, Jenny, I am really sorry that you are going to be going through this, and I'm sorry, but let me answer the question. Okay, thank you. Okay, okay. You're, you're welcome, Jenny. All right, so here's the thing when you, when you go back to your family, and you often we go back to our families during the holidays, and it's like we step back in time, and it doesn't matter that we are adults, some with, you know, maybe with families of our own jobs, careers, we're, we're cast in the, often cast in the role that we were growing up, or we feel like we regress and we go back and those old dynamics can take over. So one of the things that I would recommend, Jen, Jenny said she's treated so poorly. Um, Jenny, maybe you can call back another time, maybe not from your car and talk about like, what is that? specifically mean treated poorly. Uh, um, but here's what you want to do. No matter what your situation, if you, like Jenny, are going to go go to think back home for Thanksgiving or back to your families for Thanksgiving in a couple of weeks, how is that even possible? A couple of weeks. Anyway, um, here are some things to keep in mind. One is be an observer. When we go and we feel like we're under scrutiny, it's a horrible feeling. We feel self-conscious. We feel you know, cast in a role we're not playing, which can cause us to just feel anxious all the time, which can cause us to use food to relax or soothe or comfort or all of the things that we use food for. So if you are an observer, 
now it's eyes out instead of eyes on you. When when the eyes are on you, you're under observation. That's a horrible feeling. And you feel self-conscious and terrible. But when it's your eyes out, it's like the spotlight moves from you to other people. And it's, what do you think of them? And and you can look at patterns like, oh, look, the way that my you know father is talking to my brother why, you know, in that kind of rude, nasty way, why that's the way I talk to myself. Hmm. Um, and just look for patterns or, wow, uh, I, I notice how many comments the family is making about food or, wow, they're talking about other people and, and in this nasty way or talking about how much weight they've gained or talk, talk about their lives in such a disparaging way. No wonder I expect the world to look at me through those kinds of eyes. Just start looking at, you know, what are the patterns that you see that might relate to your your life now, but just think, just eyes out, be the observer, not the observed. And the other thing is to set boundaries. Uh, to, you know, just say no is just say no to drugs. Well, just say no to uh, intrusive, demanding relatives and, and people who don't appreciate you. Um, that's called setting boundaries and it's a very good thing to do. It is also a very hard thing to do because often we think we're being mean or people won't like us or we're causing trouble or something of that nature. And it it's all predicated on this belief that somehow they have more of a right to what they want than you have. That they that somehow you're a second class citizen in your own life when you're with them, and that's why setting boundaries is so important. It's saying no, I will not be treated this way. I will go this far, but no further. Uh, so Jenny, think about the kinds of ways that you are treated badly, and think about how you can set limits, or even or even say, you know, uh, I'm happy to do this, but not that. Uh, oh, here is Lisa. Hi, Lisa. Good to see you on Instagram. She says, saying no was one of the biggest things I learned from you. And guess what? I've said no to three people who are draining my energy so much. I'm much happier for saying no. Yes, Lisa. Yes to your no. Woohoo. I love that. And it's good to hear from you, Lisa. And I'm so glad you're doing well. Yes, saying no to other people is a way of saying yes to yourself. And often we feel selfish if we say no to other people. And this is rooted in this idea that you're either you're either selfish or selfless. Selfless, selfless is I don't matter. It's all about you. Now, that is not healthy. I don't matter. It's all about you. No, 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 no. But you may know it's not healthy, but then when you you set a, a, a boundary, you may feel selfish instead, as if you're either selfless or selfish. Selfish is you don't matter, it's all about me. Right? So it can feel as if it's either one or or the other. You're either selfless or you're selfish. And so the selfish or or selfless or selfish, and and make space in between those for self-care. And self-care is. Hey, sometimes I am going to 
you know, give up me to take care of you. And sometimes I'm going to want you to give up you to take care of me. Sometimes I'm going to take care of me. Sometimes I'm going to take care of you. It, 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 it involves mutuality with other people, but you honoring yourself and your needs. And, and that is a good, important thing to do. That's why the, 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 the oxygen mask metaphor is so perfect for this, right? You go on a plane, the, the flight attendants say, hey, parents, if the masks drop, do not put it on your kids. You, you're of no use to anyone if you give your oxygen away. You've got to put it on yourself and then on your kids. And that is a great allegory for life. You cannot give all of your oxygen away because then you're going to be empty. And guess what happens when you're empty? When you give and you give and you give and you give and you take care of everybody, food takes care of you. You take care of everyone, you deplete yourself, you're empty, food takes care of you. Food literally goes in, fills the void. So that's why self-care is very important, especially when you're in a situation with your family I can't help it. I'm going to tell the oldest psychoanalytic joke in the world, and I am a terrible joke teller, but it's so funny. So bear with me. Here it is. But just imagine I'm saying it in kind of a Yiddish Austrian accent, like Freud or something. Not that analysts are Freudian anymore, by the way. Just as an aside, people are often like, You're a psychoanalyst like Freud? No. That's like saying, you know, uh, a Tesla is a car like a Model T Ford. Yes, they are both cars, but cars have come a long way since 1906, and so has psychoanalysis. Okay, here's the joke. If it's not one thing, it's your mother. Ha ha! I love that joke. I I I, I know. It cr cringe, right? But I can't help it. It's the best. All right. It's the best and the worst. All right. Another question. How can I tell the difference between binge eating and and overeating? Okay, that's a great question. First of all, everybody overeats a little bit sometimes. In fact, we're 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 headed towards Thanksgiving. Jenny's going home for Thanksgiving, and that is a time when overeating is expected, right? Overeating is, you know, you overdo it, you have a little too much, but you say, "Uh, oh, you know, I overdid it." But so you just eat too much more than it is comfortable, and you and but you don't self-recriminate. You don't say, oh my God, what's wrong with me? Oh, I can't believe I ate that. You just say, all right, I overdid it. Uh, I'll, I'll take it easy tomorrow or I'll go on an extra you know, run or go to the gym or whatever it is, right? So overeating is just eating too much and it is, it's based on just you know, the, uh, the availability of food or the, the particular situation that you're in, like Thanksgiving. Binge eating is a is compulsive it's a compulsive uh way of eating in which you eat way 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 more than you than most people would ever eat in a short amount of time even if you're physically uncomfortable remember you might be turning emotional discomfort into physical discomfort even if you're physically just uncomfortable and it is accompanied by a great deal of shame absolute shame and remorse. So with overeating, it's like, oh, I overdid it. I did a little, I ate a little too much, but it was so good. Binge eating is, 
I hate myself. I can't believe I ate all that. What's wrong with me? So overeating is just about food. Binge eating involves shame and it is compulsive and driven because like I said before earlier, binging food is the solution to a problem. It is not the problem. Um, it is it is driven out of not not to do with the availability of food, but out of some psychological deprivation usually, or a way of coping. It's just a really negative coping strategy. Um, it's helping you. It's also hurting you. So that is the difference between binge eating and overeating. One is you know very common and and doesn't involve self-recrimination and the other is a way of managing emotions, dealing with something in, in life through a negative coping strategy that also involves then you turning on yourself. Um, I tend to binge. Next question. Let me see. Uh, actually, let me, let me, let me get to this question. Um, because I, I've heard this question a lot lately. What are your thoughts about weight loss medication like Ozempic? How do I know if it's a fit for me? Okay, so here are my thoughts on Ozempic. Uh, and 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 this person, I think, means using it for weight loss, not because they have diabetes or prediabetes, but because they're specifically using this medication to lose weight. So here's the issue. Um, it, it doesn't resolve the underlying psychological or emotional reasons for why you may turn to food. So it's a Band-Aid, really. Um, it, it gives you a quick fix, but it deflects from doing the, the important psychological, emotional work that, that you need to do to change your relationship with food forever, which really means changing your relationship with yourself forever. I've talked about getting to those, uh, the, those roots, right? We can't see them. They're underground just like they're in our unconscious, we're in the dark, but they affect us. And the way to change uh, your relationship with food forever, and that's why I call my book and my method, the binge cure method. Someone gave me a review and said, this book shouldn't be called the binge cure because there's no cure. I was like, oh, really, book reviewer? Are you, in fact, a psychoanalyst who has spent 22 years treating people with binge eating disorder and written four books, uh, academic books on the subject? There is a cure, people. There is a cure. And the cure is changing your relationship with yourself. Also, uh, medications like Ozempic, they are, they, they're short, they're just short term. You, 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 you're not going to, you, you regain weight as soon as you go off of it. Right, it doesn't. It doesn't change your relationship with food. It's like going on a diet. Diets will work. Oh, sure they will. They will work, but you can't stay on them forever. And who would want to? They also have terrible side effects. A lot of people have terrible side effects. Not everybody, but that people get nauseous or diarrhea and dizziness and constipation and just oh, all kinds of yuck. Who needs that? Um, and they are expensive like ridiculously expensive if you can't get it, you know, if you can't get insurance to cover it. So, uh, and the last is the rebound effect, which is that they found for many people, again, not all, for many people, when they go off these medications, they they gain weight 
even faster. They gain it all back and they gain it back fast because, of course, they haven't dealt with why they are eating. They've just been focusing on what they've been eating, kind of like um, weight loss surgery. I cannot tell you how many people have come to me after having undergone some kind of you know weight loss surgery, gastric bypass sleep, whatever it is. In fact, I I will not say who, but a uh, a person who won the Biggest Loser came to me, and you know they gain gained all the weight back, and realized it was never about the things that they thought it was about. All these people who had um, weight loss surgery that that they they really had to deal with why they were eating and not focus on what they are eating. That is the way to create true liberation, which is possible. So if you're going to use Ozempic or one of those medications, also do some therapeutic work to address those root causes so that you can change your relationship with yourself. Because when you make peace with yourself, you make peace with food. And by making peace with yourself, which is you know being more curious, not critical, being able to identify your feelings, um, uh, uh, process them, respond to yourself in a new way, to like yourself instead of hating yourself, to be less of a perfectionist and more reasonable with yourself, to just you know kind of turn your critic into a friend. When you can do that, that's when you can actually develop uh, healthier eating habits. Um, so just a medication without that therapeutic work is not going to work in the long run. Ozempic is just another example of uh, weight loss surgery or any diet that that you know you, that's not sustainable, and it and it deals with the weed and not the root. You've got to deal with the root issues of your why. Um, is uh, here's a quick one. I only have a few minutes. Let me answer this really quickly. How do I stop binge eating when I feel out of control around food? Well, um, willpower will only work for a little while. Um, sometimes you're you're just you're just in that. Oh my god! Oh my god! I've got to have it. I got to have something now, <laughs> right? It when you feel overtaken by that, think of it as. A, a wave. Think of it as a tsunami, right? Even a tsunami builds and builds and builds and builds and builds, and eventually it crests, and then it 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 falls. Let, let's actually think of it as a wave. A tsunami may not be the best example. I take that back. Okay, just a really big wave. It it gets more and more and more and more powerful. It crests and then it crashes and and it's gone. If you think about riding that like kind of urge to head to the 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 kitchen and you and you and you think of it as riding that wave if you could just if you could just get get past that crest and and ride it into the surf just do that emotional surfing no surfboard actual surfboard required then that gives you enough space because the urgency and that urge is is a little bit diminished to reflect to be curious and not critical to say okay what was that about what what is you know what problem am i trying to solve by eating right now what's going on with me what are my what am i thinking what am i feeling what was going on right before i decided i absolutely needed to eat 
know, what, what would be on my mind if I were not thinking about food? That is the best question you can ask yourself. What would be on my mind if I were not focused about on food? Because that will help you figure out what, what problem you're resolving. Many people have said, no, 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 it's just food. I'm addicted. I just, I just like food too much, blah, blah, blah. And then finally they get to the point where they realize, oh yeah, if I were not thinking about food right now and being upset with myself for wanting to eat, I might be thinking about mm, wanting to leave my husband or wife, or I might be thinking about doing something impulsive and that scares me, or I might be thinking about how mad I am about, you know, you know, my, my boss and I, and you know, oh, then I might want to get another job and that's too scary. So let me just be mad at myself for eating. Right. It, it all, the point is it always, 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 always serves some purpose. And you're, you have to get really curious about why. That's why I'm saying always be curious, not critical. Critical is, I can't believe I ate that. Oh my God, I have no willpower. You know, you know how that goes. And then you feel bad and then you, you can't, you can't make yourself feel bad and then lift yourself up at the same time. Absolutely not. So what happens? You beat yourself up with words, you feel terrible, and then you end up going to food for comfort and distraction from your own mean voice. So let's change that up. Focus on being curious, not critical. And practice makes perfect. No, it doesn't. Makes progress. I always say practice makes progress. I have no idea why I said practice makes perfect. All right. Thank you so much for joining me here on The Binge Cure with Dr. Nina. Remember, it really is possible to stop dieting, stop thinking about food 24-7 and banish binging forever so you can get back to living your life while being healthy. I'm here every Thursday at noon Pacific on Voice America and live streaming on Instagram. And if you want a, a deeper dive into this topic or more, be sure to get your copy of my best-selling book, The Binge Cure, Seven Steps to Outsmart Emotional Eating, and the companion brand new journal workbook version. Um, it's available on Amazon in all formats, including Audible, just the book only, if you want me to read it to you. So stay curious, not critical. See you next week. Bye for now. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of The Binge Cure with Dr. Nina. Each week, she offers valuable insights to stop emotional eating and give steps to lead a joyous life. Tune in next Thursday at 12 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. 